And uh, I really appreciated uh, Al's thoughts around the, the Lord's Supper table about how God's the one who takes the initiative with us. And so what we talk about today is us responding to His initiative. But one reason I loved Al being up here is because Al's one of those guys who takes the initiative. If you've been around this church very long, you know he's a guy, he sees what needs to be done, and he's going to jump all over and do something. And we need people like that. In fact, I can remember Al as a teenager, and uh, we were in a hotel room at Youth in Action in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's about 40, 50 of us packed in this little hotel room, and we were talking about how we were going to live for God, and I was trying to push the envelope a little bit and say, man, let's, let's just go for it, and let's be fired up, and let's turn our life over, and I'll never forget Al raised his hand. He said, Bell, <laughs> he said, um, we all want to do what you're talking about, but we're afraid to be the first one to step out. And isn't that true about our lives? We know what we ought to do, but it's something about that person that's willing to step out. It's something about that that makes us nervous. And that's why this morning I want to talk about this word initiative. I think it's a great word. And here's the definition of iniquity, is the act of taking the first step. It's the person who steps out if nobody else is. Now let me say this, I feel like in many ways this is the greatest need in our church. We have an awesome church full of wonderful people, best people on the face of the earth. Loving, caring, giving, I mean you guys do it. But if there's an area where we have some need, it's we need more people. We've got a bunch of them. But we need more people who go, you know what? I'm not waiting on a church program. I'm not waiting on an elder to ask me to do this. I'm not waiting on Buddy to push me to do this. I'm just going to take the initiative. I see the need, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to do it. Those people are hard to find. And so this morning, I want to look at an old story in Scripture. You can see the picture up here of David and Goliath. And I challenge you as we get to this story today that, that you don't think of this as a children's story. I, I'd, I'd like you to leave here today thinking of this as your story. Because here's a young man who against all odds took the initiative and God blessed him. And he experienced what nobody else on the scene experienced. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. You know the story. On one hand, you've got uh, the Israelites on one hill. And on another hill across the way, you've got the Philistines, the, the enemies of the army of God. And, and there's a valley in between. Now, the Philistines would send out every day their champion named Goliath. You see, in that day, often the whole armies didn't fight. You'd just send your best man out there and let him fight. Now, Goliath, as we know, was a giant. He's probably between 9 feet 9 inches tall, may have been as tall as 11 feet 2 inches. Can you imagine when Goliath showed up at Gath Middle School? <laughs> I mean, if you were a coach, what would you have done, man? You want that guy. So he's big, and he comes out, the Scripture says, and he looks up at the people of God, and he says uh, with a lot of sarcasm, are, are, are you not the armies of great King Saul? A am I not just a little bitty Philistine? Would you send somebody out there for us to fight? If, you beat, if he beats me, I'll become your servants. If I beat him, you'll become our servants. Now look at verse 16. This hadn't gone on a couple of times. Look at verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And this has been going on for days and days, twice a day. And nobody moves. 
Nobody takes the initiative. Now, God's got a guy in his plans. His name was David. David was not even old enough to make the army. Uh, His dad, Jesse, says to him one day, David, I want you to go check on what's going on. I want you to check on your three older brothers. They were in the army. Eliab, Abnadab, and Shammah. Now, if, if I'd been in that family, I'd be glad to have the name David, wouldn't you? I mean, that, that's a nice name. And, and so he sends them. He says, here's some crackers and cheese. Go check on your brothers, see what's going on, and give them some snacks. And so he heads off. Now, here's what I can only imagine. I can only imagine how excited David was. I mean, he's heard these songs about King Saul and what a great warrior he is. He's so proud of his oldest brothers that are in the army. He can go and see a great battle. You ever been going to a football game? Maybe you'd anticipated for weeks, you know, and then you were so excited, and you get outside the stadium, and you hear both the bands playing, and you hear the crowd yelling, and man, the chill goes down your back, and then you walk in there, and your team gets slaughtered. You ever experienced that? Not much fun, is it? Well, that's what happens to David. He's so excited. Listen to verse 20. You can hear the excitement. He says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded out and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out in its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Wow. Is when the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath steps out. The Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted the usual defiance, and David heard it. Now stop there for a second. What do you think David thinks about to happen? Who's going out there, man? Eliab, is it you? Shammah, is it you? I mean, who's going to go take this giant on? And then the next verse is so disappointing. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So, so David begins to ask about this. What's going on here? And listen to what they explain. They say, man, this has gotten really bad. been going on 40 days, twice a day, 80 times. Now, the Israelites have been saying, verse 25, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king, here's King Saul. King Saul's a great warrior. If anybody should have been out there fighting this battle, it should have been him. But he won't do anything, so he tries to give them um, some rewards, tries to coerce somebody to do it. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills Goliath. He will also give his daughter marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. This this is getting serious. The king says, somebody's got to go out there. Can you imagine if our president came to us and said, this thing in North Korea is just getting really bad. I mean, you know, I don't know what to do. And if a war breaks out, I mean, millions of people be killed immediately right there on that border. Uh, if, If some American can think of what to do to defeat the North Korea, the American government will immediately write you a check for a billion dollars. Now think about this one. You will never have to pay taxes. Who likes that one? That's pretty big. And you can have my son, Baron, to be your husband, all right? Well, we might like the first two. We're not too sure about three, are we? But in this day, it was a big deal to get the king's daughter. And he offers that. Now, David hears this. 
And, and look at verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Have you ever heard anything that sounded too good to believe? Have you ever said, okay, thank you. Um, would you run that by me again? I, I need to hear really what you're, you're saying. And, and they repeat it to him. And then you get to the key line of the entire chapter and the turning point in this story. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What's David say? This guy, this guy, I don't care how big he is, I don't care how big his muscles are, he doesn't know God, he's a heathen. And we are the armies not of a dead God, not of an inactive God, we are the armies of a living God. Guys, I mean, it takes a kid to see it. What is the problem here? And so David starts stepping out. When nobody else will step out, he's the kid brother who won't even make the army. You know, I grew up with um, three older brothers. I was the youngest for a long, long time. And I can only imagine one day, you know, my brothers are getting bullied, you know, out in the neighborhood. And they're scared to death. And, and I walk out the front door and I go, never fear, guys. Buddy's here. <laughs> I mean, I would have been beaten up before I ever made it to the bully. I'm telling you, okay? And Eliab is so offended by what David does. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, listen, he burned with anger at him. He thinks this little squirt, who does he think he is? And then he begins to criticize him. Why have you come down here? Well, I came to bring you a snack. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? You're even going to criticize the number of sheep I've got? And then he criticizes his character. I know your conceit. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down to only watch the battle. Now, I think if I had been David, I'd been quick enough to say, Okay, Eliab, what battle? I don't see anything going on. Help me out here. Well, word gets around that there's somebody finally willing to face Goliath. King Saul hears about it. Embarrassingly, King Saul says, you know, David, you're too young. I can't trust you out there. And, and David says, let me just calm down here, man. God has prepared me. I fought a lion and a bear. And King Saul says, okay, well, you go, but I'm, I'm going to be really nice to you. You need to wear my armor. So he, he gives him his armor. As one writer says, David takes two steps and the armor doesn't move. And so he says, I've never worn this stuff. I can't wear this. And David begins to walk off that hill. I mean, Goliath's been yelling all these days. And finally, there's a speck come off the hill. And it's this kid, David. And David's walking down toward Goliath. He's got his sling. He reaches down in a brook. And he gets five stones. Now, we always have somebody to ask the question at this moment. Why does he choose five stones? He's only going to need one. Well, i got two answers for you. My favorite answer is this. If you read the Bible closely, over in 2 Samuel chapter 21, it is mentioned that Goliath had four other brothers, and they were all giants. And so David is ready for the whole family, okay? I like that one. But what I think is the true answer is, my friends, for you to step out for God does not mean your faith has got to be perfect. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I really want to take this step for God. I really want to take the initiative. I want to start this group. I want to encourage these people. I want to be baptized. But let me, first of all, get my life together. And when I got it, no, no, no. You don't have to have your life together, man. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just need some faith. 
And so David steps out. And as he begins to get closer, Goliath, if you read between the lines, is actually offended. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you're a champion warrior, and they're sending this guy. He doesn't have any armor on. He's a, he's a child. I mean, listen, that's, that's what David says. I mean, Goliath says, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bare in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he's little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. What, what's he saying? The King James says he was ruddy in appearance. What, what Goliath is saying is, I've been screaming all these days, and you're sending me a little boy, a sissy, to come fight me, a warrior? He despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that, come, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. Man, what are you going to do then, guys? I'll tell you what I'm doing. Wrong battle. Didn't mean it. I just slipped, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm going back up there. Eliab! I mean, you're going to do something. But not our little man of faith. Some of my favorite words in the Bible. David said to the Philistine, You come to me, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you had defied. You're fooling not with me, not with the army. You've been fooling with God, and God's not putting up with this. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear, the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. Don't you love it? David doesn't back down. He steps up. Now he slings that sling, that rock comes out, hits Goliath right in the forehead. Goliath tumbles over. David runs over there. He takes Goliath's big sword out of his sheath. He goes and he just sort of drops the sword. Boom! There's a thud. Goliath's head rolls. When Goliath's head rolls, the rest of the Philistines run. And all of a sudden, these guys over here have got a lot of courage. And they go after him, and it's a great, great victory. Now, why? Because we got a man here when nobody else would take the initiative. He takes the initiative. When no one else would take the first step, he's like, guys, this can't stay this way. Now, I want you to look at this. If you're taking notes, this will be the time to take your outline out. Well, just think about the things that David overcame to do this. First of all, David overcame inexperience. This guy's too young to make the army, doesn't even have the armament. He's the last guy you expect to face a champion. He's unprepared. But listen, guys, every time someone does that first step, it's always the first time. If you wait till you're experienced to do what God calls you to do, you'll never do it because you'll never get the experience to be even better. In fact, if you read the Bible closely, God specializes in using the most unlikely person to fulfill his mission. So maybe you. God may be speaking to you today. He overcame his inexperience. He overcame the criticism. 
My friend, here, here's what holds us back from wanting to take the initiative. is because criticism comes with the territory. When you step out, somebody's not going to like it. Because one thing, when you step out and I'm not stepping out, I may feel guilty. You all of a sudden get all fired up about the Lord and I'm losing, living my lukewarm life. And it'd be a lot easier to pull you back down than to step my game up. Now, here's the scary thing about this story, and I think it's the true thing about life, is that often the people who criticize you the most may be the people in your family or may even be the people in your church family. I know as a church, when, when we step out and do things differently, many of you, the big issue you've got is what are my family going to say? My friends, we can't be controlled by what family says. We've got to be controlled by what God says. What, what are even my fellow Christians going to do, you know? I mean, I've been with this group, and, you know, we just sort of play with church here and there. And all of a sudden, I step out, they're going to wonder what's going on with me. My friends, criticism's part of the deal. You know, I remember, you know, years ago, when this church really stepped out and said, you know what, we're not going to be bound by tradition. We're going to be bound by God's Word and what's effective in reaching lost people. We've we got a lot of criticism outside of here. We've been getting a lot of criticism the last few weeks. And, and let me say this, guys. What's going to hurt the most is when the criticism becomes personal. And, when it, and here's what hurts me the most is when it's against your character. When I first moved here, the first thing I did was preach through the book of Galatians because we want to establish this as a church that believed and practiced grace. And I had a, a preacher here in town that wasn't very pleased about that. And so he wrote, wrote a letter to every elder and every preacher in Montgomery saying that I'd come here and was preaching false teaching. And that didn't really bother me because I knew he probably wouldn't agree with what I said. But what really bothered me is he said, and Buddy is so arrogant. That hurt. You don't have to agree with me. Just don't question my character. So I finally just wouldn't question him. He literally told me this. I've never shared this. He said, Montgomery's not big enough for the two of us. <laughs> Obviously, Montgomery grew because we're both still here, okay? <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, when you step out for God, you're going to get some criticism. And that's why many of us are, are, are intimidated. That's my next point. David overcame intimidation. Can you imagine facing this Goliath? Can you imagine how, how big Goliath looked to him? How small he appeared? And my friends, here's what Satan's going to do. He's going to make it appear that the odds are against you. He's going to make it appear that Satan is going to win. And that's why many of us never step out in a leadership role. Let me tell you, the number one thing that paralyzes leaders, whether it's in church or business or you name it, is the fear of making a mistake. And my friends, if you're going to make, be a leader, you're going to make mistakes. In, in fact, someone told me this week, here's what holds more people back in leadership than anything else, is not willing to call a shot if you don't have 100% certainty. Listen, you don't have 100% certainty about anything. If you sit back there going, you know what, until I'm perfectly sure, here's what's going to happen. Instead of doing something, you're going to do nothing. And in my book, oftentimes, it's a whole lot better to do something than to ever just do nothing. And so don't let those things intimidate you. So let me ask you a question at this point in our, our lesson. I want you to think about it. Maybe you even write something down here. What is the Goliath in your life 
Uh, right now, what is standing between you and victory? What's standing between, let's talk about our church for a moment, our church and real victory? I'm telling you, one of the things standing between us and victory as a church is enough people to take the initiative to say, you know what, we're going to go out and we are going to minister. And we are going to take care of our community. And we are going to get involved in our neighborhoods. And we are going to make sure the people in this church are taken care of. We've got to overcome that Goliath. I ask you, what what is your your personal Goliath? Is it your past? Is it your insecurity? Is Satan going, you know what, you can't do this because you're what you used to do. Is it failure? Maybe you tried to step out and lead before and you failed? Is it the topic we talked about that you guys seem to respond so well to a few weeks ago of sloth that either you're too busy to step out for God or you're too lazy? What's your Goliath? So, so we got that one. What makes David different? Why is this the one who takes the initiative? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, David took the initiative because he saw God. That's the difference in the story. Everybody else is looking off the mountain. They see Goliath. They see his bulging biceps. They see his height, and they're scared to death. The difference is when David looked off the mountain, oh, yes, he saw Goliath, but that's not all he saw. He saw God. And what I'm telling you this morning is I don't know what the picture of your life is right now, good, bad, wonderful, awful. But if you can see God in the midst of that picture, it changes the entire picture. He saw God. And so often as a church and individuals and families, we make plans as if they're dependent on us instead of going, you know what? That guy may look big, but he doesn't have God. I mean, he's, a, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, now listen to me, guys. This is what makes this tough. If you had interviewed the people on this mountain, the people of Israel, and you said, do you guys believe in God? <laughs> they'd, have been, they'd have been ticked off. Of course we believe in God. Yes, we believe in God. Okay, that's nice. Well, how do I know you believe in God? Well, we're a part of the army of God. Did you not? Well, what are you guys doing? Well, we gather every Sunday and we shout the war cry. Doesn't that count for something? Well, listen to me. What are you doing about Goliath? What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, we run. My friends, when you see God, it all changes. I don't care what you're looking at in life. When you see God, it all changes. David took the initiative because he saw God. David took the initiative, number two, because he saw God's will. He walks in this situation, and he sees Goliath, and he sees God's people, and he sees the Philistines, and he sees God, and he knows this is not what God wants. God didn't want his people to be intimidated by this giant. And what we need in this church and what you need in your family and your school and in your business and your neighborhood is somebody who walks in the neighborhood and goes, what would God do if he could have this place? What would God do in our schools if we go back to school in a couple of weeks? What would God do in this church right now if he could split this roof wide open and do whatever he wanted to do? What would he do? What would he do in your family? That, that, that's the, the person who takes initiative who walks in the Bible class this morning and says, what would a Bible class look like with people fired up for God? What would a small group look like if we were really, really trying to win this city for Jesus Christ? What would it look like? 
And, and you begin to see God, and you begin to see God's will. Now listen to me, I, I think some of you misunderstood me a few weeks ago, or I probably communicated it bad. But when I was trying to push you guys to come for these four Wednesday nights of our summer reunion, I know some of you walked away and said, buddy's just trying to make me feel guilty, and you showed up once and then you stopped. And, and, and let, me just, let me just say this, guys. I, my, my goal was not to make you feel guilty. My goal was to raise your vision and my vision. My goal was to say, is it not possible that every once in a while we could call the church together for four weeks. I mean, could we not see that we're not just a disjointed group of people who happen to bump each other every once in a while in two services on Sunday morning, but every once in a while we could say, let's all get together and let's be the family of God. Let, even better, let's get together and let's be the army of God. I don't want you to be guilty about this, guys. I want you to catch a vision that we're more than what we are. That God would say, okay, what would a church look like that was trying to win this city for Christ? I'm telling you what they'd do. Every once in a while, they would get together, and they would praise God, and they would listen to His Word, and they would pray like crazy. That's what we're looking for. You've got to see God's will. And the final point here is he saw God using him. David believed he was the solution. And guys, here's where we choke up sometimes it's like okay buddy amen to what you're saying Dave. this is good man i know this dude over here man he'll do it she'll do it i've seen her do it before he's a leader in our church no doubt he'll do it no 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 no. you're missing the point man the question is will you do it can you visualize before you ever step out there that god could use you now, we're full of a group of people in this church who've been doing this for years. There was a group of people years ago who looked out in the cow pastures of East Montgomery and picked this site and said, you know what, there's going to need to be a church there one day. And it looked crazy. We've got people sitting in this audience who dreamed years ago of us having a ministry to people with addictions. And it's blessed so many people. There are people sitting here today who had a dream of us reaching out to people with cancer. and They started this journey of hope. We've got those who say, you know what, we need to give special care to our widows. Let's start this ministry. We've got some people that dreamed in this room, you know what, why don't we do something to draw the men in our community together? Not just to have the men here, but to introduce them to Jesus Christ in a non-threatening way. And tomorrow night, this place will be full. We've got those people. And I'm asking you, can you become one of those people? And that brings me to the, the, the second question that I want you to think about is what is God calling, where is God calling you to step out? Maybe it's in your family that you need to say, guys, I know the way we've been, but for now on we're putting Jesus first. Maybe it's in your dating relationship. You know what? We're going to start praying together. Maybe it's you can go back to school with a whole different attitude. You're not going to go back and be that same person. You're going to go on that college campus, man, and you're going, to, you're going to say, you know, this is not just my little thing. I want everybody to have this. You're going to come to this church, and you're going to go, okay, this is a cool church, but we're not doing everything God wants us to do. I'm not here to be critical. I'm here to step up and say, let me take that. Let me do that. I'll take the initiative. Now, let me, let me focus in on this, you know, because I see so many things, man. I see a singles mother's ministry that we need somebody to head up. I don't know about you, but I was driving down this road this week, Halcyon Elementary, right around the corner from us, and the, the grounds look awful. Why don't we do, do something? Why don't I go do something? 
I mean, there's so many things, but here's what I want to zero in on for just a moment, because this is the core of, of what we do as a church. And that's that we know to really grow spiritually and for us to take care of each other, we've got to get people in some kind of small group setting. And the most effective of those settings, I still believe, is, is people meeting in a home, studying God's Word and praying together. Because we're a big church. We don't, we don't do a good job of taking care of each other otherwise because uh, we, we just have to start some super-duper church program where people would slip through the cracks. But we know, just like in the New Testament, when, when people get in these, these homes and they begin to share life together and begin to pray together, things happen. And, and some of you, I, I want to challenge you. Maybe you had a bad experience and you, it's time to step out again. Some of you know an age group where we need a group in that age. Some of you know a neighborhood in this town that, that you'd like to gather the members from Lambert that live in that neighborhood and begin to dream about what you could do, not just for each other, but even for the, the neighborhood or the area. It might be over in Emerald Mountain where we need a group bad. It might be among our prime timers where we just don't have enough groups to fit everybody in. And, and, and you say, you know what, I'm not going to wait on the elders to call me. I'm not going to wait on Buddy to bug me. I'm just going to, I'm going to step out. I'm going to call a few friends, and we're going to start something that could really be awesome for God. I don't have to have permission. I don't have to have a church program. I just want to do what God wants. And, and yeah, it might look a little hard. There might not be that many people at first, but, but I see God. And God can do anything. Now, my last point here. You think, buddy, that's, that's, a little, that's sort of scary to me because I'm, I'm used to just sort of, sort of being a consumer at church. I want you to think for a moment. What did David experience? And who would you rather be? Would you rather be David in the valley? Now, I think, guys, more than likely, I think David was nervous. Because I've never believed that faith is a lack of fear. Faith is doing what you know God wants you to do even when you're afraid. All right? I think David was nervous, but man, he was in the battle. Would you rather be David, or would you rather be the quote-unquote people of God sitting on the hill, shouting the war cry, and doing nothing? I mean, what kind of life would be better? You know how these people feel up here? You know when you know what you ought to do, and you don't do it over and over? You know how you feel? You feel guilty. But you know, you know what you feel like when you're down in the battle, and you put yourself out, and you stepped out in a way that you know you can't do it on your own? Here's what's going to happen. You'll begin to experience the presence of God in your life. God doesn't need to show up if you don't need Him. You'll begin to experience the presence of God. You'll begin to experience the power of God. There will be things that will happen that could not have happened if you'd sat on that hill. And more than anything else, you will experience the pleasure of God. Wouldn't you love to feel that? I'm telling you, my friends, you're not going to feel it playing safe. And so this morning, I'm going to ask the leaders of this church and their spouses to come surround this stage. Let me ask all of the elders and their spouses that are here if they would come. Let me also on top of that, all of our ministers and their spouses, if they would come just surround this stage. And we're going to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. You know, again, maybe you say, I need to take the initiative. I, I want to step out. Amen. Amen. So why don't you come out up here to some of these people that are taking the initiative. We've got amazing people in this church. 
Maybe you're a, a, a life group leader and you know your group starts next week and you've been sort of a half-hearted leader. Or maybe you just need some prayers about it and, and you want someone to pray for you. Just come grab one of these couples and have them pray. Maybe you're wanting to step out and start one. Or maybe there's just an area of your life where, where you need to take the initiative. It's in your family. It's in your school, in your workplace, your neighborhood. You want to take the initiative and do something for God. Maybe you're about to go into some new territory and you need God to cover you through that. Maybe it's just the battleground of your mind this morning that you need to declare once and for all that that God is God and that he is bigger and more powerful than Satan. So we're just going to ask, you don't have to come right on anything. We're not going to say anything publicly. All I'm going to ask you to do is to come and, and just tell these folks your name and tell them, because they, they, they may go blank like I do sometimes up here. So make sure you tell them your name. You guys scoot around here a little bit. Y'all looking like you're trying to hide back here. Scoot, scoot, please. I don't mean to be bossy, but that's my job. Just come right, right back around. I want to read this, read this song. Now, I scared first service because I told them I was going to sing this song. And they weren't too sure. But I love this song from Casting Crowns, The Voice of Truth. You've probably heard it. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat I'm in onto the crashing waves, to step out of the comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where, God, where Jesus is, and he's holding out his hand. But the waves are calling my name, and they laugh at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The waves, they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win, you'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth said, this is for my glory. Of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone. Surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors, shaking in their armor, wishing they had had the strength to stand. But the giant's calling out my name, and he laughs at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The giant keeps on telling me, time and time again, boy, you'll never win. Boy, you'll never win. But the stone was just the right size to put the giant on the ground. And the waves, they didn't seem so high from the top of them looking down. I will soar with the wings of eagles when I stop and listen to the sound of Jesus singing over me. I will choose to listen to the voice of truth. If you need to listen to that voice today and be prayed for, why don't you come right now and let these people pray for you while we're standing and singing.